0: This podcast is under a member of WildGamesTrash.com and DetroitRadio.com. You burst through the door, you find a small room filled with golden jewels. And a red dragon, he starts to breathe. Save or die! <laughs>
1: The Save
0: or Die podcast, a podcast about classic dungeons and dragons. Bring on your goblin and band of oaks, zombies
1: and
2: bones. And no, no, Slave or die, down, so
3: 76. No. Well, that's how I feel sometimes anyway. Did you say slave or die? I did. Slave or <laughs> die. Well, was that or I was thinking of saying, you know, saver initiative. They go or die. Uh, I don't know. You,
2: you know how you'll know when this podcast has really made it when Gen Con steals your name as the theme of the whole show.
3: <laughs> Did they steal Spellburn? No, no, roll for initiative. It's the big theme this year. Really? I didn't really I, I don't pay attention to Gen Con, so you know. Anyway, as those of you listening might have figured out, this is Saver Guy with DM Mike, DM Glenn. And
4: then the orc says to the girl, hey, lady, your sign fell down. Oh, hi. Hi. How you
3: doing? DM Jim. Howdy. And DM Vince.
1: Hi, I'm Liz.
3: <laughs> no, oh. no. DM Vince. <laughs> DM Vince pretending to be DM Liz. It's and Mike back here. Incredibly similar, we know.
1: <laughs> no one can tell the difference.
3: You know, I... I I could
2: take Liz's voice in GarageBand and turn it into Vincent's voice, because voice, I think there's a sarcasm setting. <laughs>
3: oh, Why don't you do that, and we can put it on the end as like a blooper can you after, turn, after the can credit. you
4: turn her into a more of a badass smurf?
3: Oh, sure.
2: I, I don't know. Oh, well, wait a minute. Hang on. She's pretty badass to start with, so I don't know. Okay. Mm-hmm. Liz is high on my list of people never to cross. I mean, I love her and all, but I Did- wouldn't cross her. It comes I will with, cut you. It, it
3: comes
4: with the gender.
3: <laughs> anyway. Yahoo. So, this episode, we're going to be talking a another listener request, D&D at War, how we handle mass combat in games, what the options are, and what do we do. But first, do we have any emails? We, we turn to hearing- our email monkey, DM list.
1: Email Monkey, yes.
4: Uh, Email Monkey, will you please tell uh, Mr. – what was his name again? We need info for his –
1: I will. Okay. Um, For our contest, we mentioned in the last episode that our winner was Mavfire and our second-place winner was Witchfinder. Uh, Witchfinder has kindly given us his mailing info, but we still need to hear from you, Mavfire. So please, please, please – Email us at Save or Die Podcast and let us know which of the two products you want to have and where we should send it to.
3: You have a month. Better her Please. yes. From when this Please. episode goes out. Otherwise which- we Witchfinder gets first
1: choice.
2: That's right. Yeah, do it before I create a fake email account in your name and get those dungeon GMOs for myself. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: Now, suddenly, MavFire's email is going to be suspicious.
2: (laughs) MavFire,
3: 248. (laughs) uh, Jim (laughs) Wampler.
1: Well, our email bag is pretty light today. We have one email to read, and it is from Dreadstar on the OSR Gaming Forums. Dreadstar. And he writes, A quick question prompted by another podcast Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. Yeah, nice little free plug for them. <laughs> yeah, you need to listen to them. Um, he goes on to say, they mentioned at one time that your earlier versions of d d really depended a lot on the use of hirelings or henchmen for characters to survive, especially at first level. From my listening to your August podcast, I get the impression that your groups don't use them. I know even first edition had rules for such, I know I didn't use them in the 80s when I originally played One E. Though I thought they were a holdover from D and D, Holmes, etc. So, what are your views on the use of henchmen in your early D and D games?
2: Ah. Do, do, do we want to note the difference between hirelings and henchmen in classic D and D? Thank you, sir. By the way. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna—I was throwing that to you guys. Um. <laughs>
1: But that's a brilliant idea, Jim.
2: <laughs> Glad you thought of it. Hirelings, you obviously hire, and it depends both on the gold and your charisma, and henchmen you attract uh, by virtue of your level, right?
3: Yep. And yeah. they're NPC pals, but they yeah. expect a certain share yeah. of yeah. henchmen, you <laughs>
1: say Henchmen expect a share. Hirelings, you have a flat fee, and no matter what cool stuff you may happen to you know, find, they don't get more than whatever the agreed-upon fee is. That may act
3: weird, like if you make them drink a potion to see what happens, then they, for some reason, want to keep the potion. Yeah,
4: imagine that. Henchmen, think of of this this way. Henchmen are your employees, and hirelings are your uh, subcontractors. Your posse. Yeah, your no, yeah, henchmen, hirelings
1: henchmen, are your temp workers.
4: Hen- henchmen, henchmen you have to feed. Hirelings, you give them gold so they go feed
2: themselves. So hirelings are your stormtroopers, and henchmen are your endless series of admirals. Something like yeah, Yeah, something like that.
1: Or to make a Doctor Who reference, henchmen no. would be your companions.
3: There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and we have been falling so, down on the job of making Doctor Who references in the past well, several episodes. Since you bring
2: it up, Liz, was K9 there, therefore a hireling or a henchman?
3: Hmm. Well,
2: don't count with
4: bond, don't count with droids, sorry.
3: Yeah, he's a pet.
4: They're slaves. I mean yeah, they he's a pet.
2: Oh a familiar. There you go. Yeah, uh, there
1: yeah. you go. Yeah, he's a familiar.
4: Well, as far as hirelings and henchmen in my game, I really didn't think much about using them, but that sort of turned around in my mind the minute I finished playing and Mike's first uh, B1 game at my first North Texas. Oh, yeah. When that one gal lost her character right away and took a hireling or a henchman, I forget which one, and basically made it into a character.
1: Yeah, he was a hireling because she, yeah, she hired him for like one gold. I, a week or something like that, and he became
4: a full-fledged player character. And
1: oh I, my I, gosh, yeah! The the hireling kicked more butt than her original character that, did.
4: That, <laughs> yeah, that that impressed the hell out of me, and I'm going to be using more of those in my. I use them for great gauges games because there's only one of him,
1: mm-hmm.
4: so I at least set another guy in with him.
3: What well, in the early days, especially you know among the group in Lake Geneva and you know the Twin Cities, it seems like hirelings and henchmen were a matter of course. When I first started playing, we really didn't use them much.
2: I, I can give it to you in a nutshell because here's exactly what it hinges on. Old school d d if it's played by the rules the way those those old guys did it, is not balanced. The encounters are not balanced at all and that's when you need hirelings and henchmen to, as a cushion. If, if your judge is like balancing the encounters for your group, then why would you need the extra help?
3: Yeah. Well, but actually, I would argue that in, in the first games I started playing with the Delta Area War Gamers, I wouldn't say that those were any more balanced than any other old D&D. We just didn't. It, it's not that the DM said you can't get hirelings. It just never occurred to us. But then he let us play multiple characters, too. And I think when you're doing right. to play multiple PCs. The need for henchmen or hirelings really goes down and of course if you have a choice a hireling or henchman that might betray you or a second meat puppet obviously you're going to go for the pc because you can control them that's interesting my experience back in the day
2: was almost exactly the same uh, my brother uh, scott had us all roll up a couple of characters so we had a spare in case one died and we never messed much with hirelings but uh as i played uh classic D D today especially guys that are like like uh, Tim Casper in a campaign if I get a chance to hire hirelings I'm hiring them okay yeah. get what out
3: about, there in front <laughs> <laughs> what about when you played Liz
1: um, we in the beginning we very rarely used hirelings also and yeah there were rules and setups for them in the you know in the rules for homes but yeah, I tended to start out, you know, taking, you know, the examples from the back of the book and, you know, the way the example reads, you don't hear a whole lot about the use of the hireling. You know, the caller's just talking about, you know, the fighting man, the halfling, you know, and then we've got player and so, you know, it's never quite clear that one of those characters being referred to, the elf, the dwarf, the halfling, you know, are any of them hirelings? They all sound like they're being, you know, used as regular characters. So, you know, from going by the examples as, you know, how I started to do my own, you know, it just never really came up to, you know, tell players, maybe you'd want to hire a hireling. And my players never asked about doing it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So we really never did ourselves that I can recall.
3: Want to hear something weird? Hmm. Until I started reading Knights of the Dinner Table, yeah. it had never occurred to me to have a torch torchbearer. <laughs> oh, good
2: old
0: not. Really? But
3: the old PCs had, you know, they carried the torches or used the continual light flashlights or whatever, you know, the idea of having a separate NPC whose job was to hold a torch had never occurred to me. It never happened in any of the games in Mississippi or Texas or Arizona I played in.
1: Yeah, and maybe it should have, thinking back on it, because a lot of times you are playing characters who will need the use of both hands to -hmm. cast a spell or to wield a two-handed weapon or to do all this other stuff. And, you know, realistically... You yeah, know, tossing, they, a, tossing a, torch. a torch on the ground and then doing your thing and then picking it back up again.
2: Oh, low low level magic user needs a scroll caddy.
3: Needs a couple of meat shields. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know That's that. What the other PCs were for, and in, in my game. <laughs> I don't know that.
4: I, I don't know that, mon, that. I can see the the wizard. I don't know that monster looks too big. What do you think? I think it needs a number three. Okay, <laughs> pull number three out. No, I'm mashy, Thank you. Boom. <laughs>
3: Well, that's not a low level. That's a mid yeah. level. Yeah. Do they have for the caddies with these kinds of swords? Mm-hmm. You know,
4: Wa- wand caddies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but thank but you.
3: I'm, I'm yeah, sorry. most of us don't have a lot of experience, at least in the early days, with henchmen or hirelings. It's just it's weird, but we didn't we don't seem to have done that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what that does for our old school cred, but. Hmm.
4: Doesn't affect me. It Doesn't bother me at all, actually. Um, <laughs> thank you. Who was that? Dreadstar. Thank you, Dreadstar.
1: Good yeah, email. You.
4: Yeah, you guys can send emails to us too. But they goes Hammer. But you can uh, also hey, s- hey, but you can also send some at saverdietgmail. You do it. I can't. Not today. No, sorry. Out of order. Go. <laughs> I got <laughs> the out of order side to, of my forehead. Swing and a miss. <laughs> I got the out of order side of my forehead now.
3: <laughs> I, so yeah, emails at saverdiepodcast at gmail.com or voicemails at 940-536-3763. Ugh. Or PSOD. Uh, hang on. We didn't have a email from DM Kojo this week. No, we didn't. Yeah, he decided to give us a break. What the hell? <laughs> he mentioned on the forum that he was going to give us a break. On, on this is a very
4: unorthodox show. You didn't even do what you're doing in uh, gaming this week.
3: Yeah, yeah, we totally shot past it.
0: do
4: <laughs> Sh- you want
3: to do that now?
1: Then <laughs> sure.
3: <laughs> Go, Jim. It's,
1: it's anything can happen Thursday on episode seventy-six. <laughs> it's feeling got- more and more like the Mickey Mouse Club.
4: Yes.
2: <laughs> I never did. What have you the been doing,
4: DM Glenn? Oh, shoot. You got you you got. Don't, yep, yep, yep. He's a faster gun. Uh, oh boy, let me tell you. Um I've been cranking out artwork for my DM Matt's uh Valdhum, <laughs> the Minds of Valdhum adventure coming out soon as soon as I can get the last piece of artwork to him. Um uh, mm-hmm. it's part of his campaign that he uh, broke off and rewrote and it's really neat. We played through it. That's what that's where we killed the green dragon. It was fun. Okay. Cool. have uh, been doing that, Played my regular basic game this week. Um, we killed a red dragon, finally. Scorch? Scorch, yes. Um, we were getting kind of real creative at the end there, and I'm glad we survived it. I did the coup de grace, yes. Lightning bolt to the head, yeah. What's the average party level now? Uh, average party level still 10. Okay. Uh, we've got a
2: <laughs> well, – Hang on. A lightning bolt to the head is not a coup de gras. That's, that's, that's an alpha strike.
4: Yeah. Well, it was after the – well, that was the second lightning bolt, though.
2: <laughs> I mean, was he already dead when you did it?
4: No, no. He had – already.
2: But it's not a coup de gras.
4: I, I killed him. The well, there first The first mage did a lightning bolt, got him – Um then the once again the uh, cleric one of the clerics threw up a shield spell with the whirling hammers right in front of him and that beat the hell out of him and then it's like okay lightning bolt boom go away oh wow. it was a lot oh we we had some some interesting time there are more things we did but i can't recall them right now oh we we just beat the beat the hell out of our 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 thief Had a long, picture this, a long hall with the bas-relief of a demon near a stairs on one end and a locked door on the other. We tell the thief, go see if that's trapped, and if so, disarm it. In the middle of disarming, it goes off. A fireball comes out of the mouth of the bas-relief right down the hall. Everybody else was in the side hall. And then before that, they had a locked door, and people were on the side, and she was fiddling with the lock, and this big, like, log ram comes and fits the door bam and she's in the she's between the log and the door
3: that's gonna leave a mark yeah sure.
4: well that's because uh, the player didn't show up and the dm was kind of upset so
3: <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> taking it out on on the pc yeah taking
4: it out of the pc because we kept going she's not here send the thief send the thief send the thief <laughs> yeah nice and uh, let's see what is oh i got my stuff jim from jim the uh, Tunnels and Trolls uh, preview, and the uh, board game that Jim wrote. What was it called again? Galacta. Galacta. Got to plug that. And I also got my copy of Dungeon Crawl Classics from Todd. I've been having a lot of... And Glenn milks
3: the swag. <laughs> uh,
4: swag nothing. I paid for that. Oh, you did? Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, and I had a few choice words to tell Todd about it after I looked through it. There's
2: How
3: a, much you pay for it?
4: Forty bucks.
2: That's pretty good. It's gone out of print again, so.
4: Yeah, but there's a few things I'm not happy about, and there's a couple things I am happy about, which is good.
2: Oh, was it damaged or something? No,
4: no, I'm talking about the game system.
2: Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, the game systems didn't know. So. Anyway, <laughs> dude, dude, come on, uh, our. Come on Spellburn and bitch about it because we're taking hits that we're also, yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yay, yeah, this is a great game and we can't find anything wrong with it. So come on our podcast and vent away.
4: Well, yeah, I got a few things. That's, that's 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 ascending EC aside, I have a few things. We'll talk after the show.
3: Yeah, okay, that was a given. Anyway,
4: that you've been that, that's that's a completely I, different system. Of course. And of course I've had a lot of fun at Facebook with Jim Curtis uh, telling him he looks like shemp. So go ahead. Mm.
3: <laughs> Hi, Jim. Hi Mike. Yeah, yeah. What have you been doing, Jim?
2: I didn't think I was going to have anything to talk about in this section of the show because uh, you guys, uh, you and Liz, had your life anniversary celebration that got our basic uh, D and D game canceled on Tuesday, and then I had what? No, I I understood because I had a a different kind of anniversary life event thing. I had to show that
4: that was that was genuine. Actually, I meant I didn't want to play. Go ahead.
2: That I had to show up for last night, so Mr. The Game Must Always Go On didn't show up for the Dungeon Crawl Classics game, so I didn't think I was going to have anything to talk about, but I get home last night late, and Nikki that plays our lucky halfling in our party has got Facebook all lit up. The one game I don't show up... Uh, she's like, your wizard got kidnapped by a more Ooh. powerful wizard. I'm first level, so every wizard's more powerful, <laughs> and, and and taken to an altered dimension because he wants your ring. And I'm like, wow, either I'm not sure if I just lost my favorite magic item or my whole character. <laughs> and they, mm-hmm. and and the party like half wiped itself out and crippled itself oh. trying to, trying to stop that from happening. Well, at least
3: they tried to stop it from happening. They didn't go, oh, too bad. I don't know. You know, I think
2: knowing my group, I think probably what happened is our DM Marcos was just doing something to get me out of the game temporarily until we play again, and they took it the wrong way or something. And have killed, you know, player characters.
1: And, I, we, and I, they all launched themselves at the guy they really shouldn't have messed with. <laughs> they all do
3: what you do as a DM don't expect them to.
2: But at first I was like, oh no. And then I was like, oh, my group loves me.
1: They, they tried to save me. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to bring them cookies next time.
2: Yeah. They, either love me. they either love me or my ring. <laughs> <laughs>
3: like little magic users.
1: <laughs> that would be so cool if you could make little cookies that were shaped like Marvin the Mage's head.
3: That wouldn't be hard.
1: It's just a big get, a 3D,
3: get a 3D printer and make a, make a uh, mold. make a little
1: cookie cutter. Cookie cutter. And yeah. then just ice them?
4: I have a better idea. I'd make little sugar cookies in the shape of wands and then enchant them with, like, one charge of a spell. After you use the spell, you eat the cookie.
1: <laughs> there hmm? are little scrolls.
4: Yeah. Yeah? Uh, okay, protection from evil. Boom. Oh, man, this is good. From <laughs> <laughs>
3: monsters? Cream-filled
2: like, scroll like, monster? <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway,
3: Using
1: you know, what, magic what? was never so sweet. What have you guys so, been
2: doing? So I didn't do any gaming, and my character still got killed or something. Or kidnapped, anyway. <laughs>
1: Okay, you still Liz. had adventures, even though you weren't there.
2: <laughs> so what have you guys been dead? doing?
1: Oh, what have we done?
2: Well, we came today.
1: Well, that is true.
2: You I, I, I find myself always wanting to hear about the Paladin
3: in your game.
1: <laughs>
3: but she's dead. The pregnant one? Or yeah, the... that, that, that was our it. old
1: campaign. And so... Yeah,
3: she died. She got <laughs> eaten by a Hydra. So oh, man.
1: yeah, so Mead is no longer playing a paladin, but she is playing a female dwarf, who is belly dancer. Yeah, female dwarven belly dancer.
2: <laughs> I love this woman. I love her.
1: She yeah, her characters are always you know they are never boring. I will tell you that and everything gets turned on its ear in some weird little way. It's like I am never going to forget that paladin. I'm never going to forget that dwarf. <laughs>
2: I think her parents foretold her future as a role player when they named her after
1: Fermented Honey. Well, her parents are both hardcore gamers al- also, so uh-huh. she grew up, you know, playing with her parents. So, yeah. <laughs>
3: <Keep being right. laughs>
1: but, yeah, she's playing a dwarf now, who belly dances. and Beard, um,
3: beard or no beard? Beard. Beard.
1: She has a beard.
3: Can't hang with
1: that. And um,
3: what little, little bells in them,
1: you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, braided with bells in them.
3: That is awesome sauce. Oh yeah. <laughs> there,
1: there's a, there's another dwarf in our party now, and um, he's from a far distant land. And Mead's dwarf is the Orient. Yeah, he's Mead's dwarf is trying to come on to him, and his dwarf has absolutely no clue. That she's doing it, and so oh she's making these dwarfish innuendos, and he's like, um, uh. "Yeah, what?
3: I could really use some help mining my 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 marble veins or something." And so like, mm-hmm. we, we
1: don't have any marble veins around here. What are you talking about?
3: All, <laughs> you know, so. if anything.
1: Yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah it, it, it's a fun little game right now. We, it's very dwarf-heavy. We've got three people playing dwarves in the party. So as a Sorry. human, I'm kind of in the minority right now.
3: <laughs> three dwarves, two humans, and an elf. Like, you can and play I'm bridge. playing the elf, a female elf.
4: You can play bridge.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you end up
2: with a female, uh, female
3: elf? Um, when he started this new campaign, he offered 500 XP to play a character type you haven't normally in the past. I think he was trying to encourage people to think outside the box. So I said, "Fine, I'll play. I'll play a female elven fighter, magic user, because I had not been doing that. I've been a human fighter, and I like. Does that count?" He goes, "Yeah, sure. Okay." Nice. And now she's kind of grown on me. So, because originally I was like, yeah, yeah, she gets killed, big deal. <laughs> but now she's fifth, fifth, and it's kind of grown on me now. So, I'm like, okay. I'll keep her that's, around for a while. A five and five fighter mage? Yep. That's a good character.
2: Yeah, that's well, yeah. a good character.
3: She's almost died like four times. But once just last week when she was leading the party through a tunnel and there was a troll waiting. Oh. Over, there were two um, trolls yank. waiting. <laughs> yeah, and as soon as she walks through the cavern, like grab, yank. Oh, you just
2: need some protection magic, and with a party full of dwarves, it should all come your way.
3: You would think, except she's still running around with just uh, studded leather armor, non-magical, which sucks. But oh well,
1: that's what hit points are for. And clerics. Yeah.
3: Played by my lovely wife.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're so much more ambitious than me. Somebody tells you to play something you never played before, and it's a female elf fighter mage. I took up that challenge, and I'm just playing a cleric. Regular old (laughs) cleric.
1: Well, I took up the challenge also, and I was playing a thief initially, but thief character got killed. So I took over the NPC cleric that was with the party. Yeah, so now this henchman, which had been played by the DM, is now my character, and she's been doing pretty good.
3: So, see, see how we worked that around back to the topic? <laughs>
4: <laughs> we had a topic?
3: Okay. Theoretically.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> back to the original email, talking about henchmen. Yeah.
3: Henchman. We already did that. Anyway.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much what we did.
3: Uh, ah. That's been most of our gaming stuff the um, past couple of weeks.
4: Yep. Tell us uh, about yours at uh Save or at podcast.
2: podcast at g- <laughs> <email>. <laughs> com. Send us all your character stories and Glenn will read them live at length on air. Because he loves to read.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so much he's gonna work at Office Depot.
4: Anyway. Who knows?
3: Alright, well, let's take a break and then move on into game on, talking about D at War so you guys are in the misty mug what are you doing
1: i am buying a bloody mermaid flip line, as always
3: sunshine comes out from the back she actually needs some help with the problem what problem there's rats in the cellar
4: oh god giant rats i
3: presume i don't know do you want to go check it out So you guys make your way down into the cellar. Sure enough, amongst the crates and barrels, there are nine giant rats.
0: Remember the last time we fought giant rats? They nearly killed us.
3: In the nest of the giant rats is 2,000 copper pieces.
1: Huh. 20 gold. One's copper. It's 2,000. (laughs) We came here to help Sunshine with their problem. We had to fight the giant rats. Initiative. Check out the Delvers podcast at burnedfx.com.
0: Hey, everybody out there in podcast land. This is Ronald Korn, uh, principal at Haddon Heights High School and amateur gamer. Uh, I should say amateur game designer. Um, recently, I kind of hit the waters with a, a request or a plea for old school gaming um, and so some supplies to Haddon Heights High School, um, trying to get a gaming group off the ground and uh you know certainly budgets are hard in high school, so we're looking for anyone out there who could possibly uh donate some supplies uh we're looking for anything that you have, anything that uh you know ranging from minis to dice to uh old school books um any condition uh any addition any game uh, really we're looking for, you know I'm trying to raise a new generation of gamers and uh looking at any means and uh any available way to do so especially looking at playing some of the classics. Uh, so if you have any um, AD&D materials or basic Dungeons & Dragons, uh, any uh, first edition, second edition, old player's handbook, um, old DM's guide, old adventures, it doesn't matter, whatever condition, uh, we will certainly uh, you know take what you have. Uh, again, Ronald Korn, Principal Haddon Heights, uh, looking for donations to help support our gaming club. Um, appreciate anything you can do. Thanks. Hi, I yeah, got Ronald Corn again. And if you have any, um, if you would like to contact me, I can be reached uh, by email at ronaldcorn at gmail.com. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. I am on Facebook as well as uh, at Ronald Korn, and uh, I appear on some of the blogs of Demi-Korn, DemiCorn, D E M I C O R N. You can find me at the Kobold uh, Press blog site. I tend to work there a little bit, and every once in a while, on the um, you know the other gaming forums. Okay, game on! Game on! Game on!
3: Game on! We need to get another bumper. The plan, you, should, you should totally
2: loop that Conan music from the first Conan movie into this section. The India War, of War. Kill. Kill.
0: Kill. Kill. Kill.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what is good in life?
1: <laughs> no, no, no. We need to have Zardoz says, go forth and kill. And
2: kill. <laughs> <laughs> That's even better.
0: Yeah.
4: Release the dogs of war.
2: Or something.
3: <laughs> Groovy. Let's go. But yeah, talking about D and D fantasy fiction, inevitably there's the grand armies or you know army of evil fill in the blank that threatens the peaceful land of of X Y Z. That works into everybody's campaign sooner or later. You can't token
2: up your game without a Helms Deep, right? Or a Siege of
3: Minas, Minas Tirith or something. Yeah,
2: okay. I would I would have used that one, but I couldn't pronounce it.
3: <laughs> I was gonna do I was gonna do the
4: Battle of Pisspot Valley, but nobody wanted to play.
1: I can't imagine why. So, <laughs> so what?
3: <laughs> now you see, if that had been a Boot Hill game, you oh, probably sorry. had a lot more interest.
0: Oh.
4: Okay.
3: <laughs> Me, I'm a one man army. So, basically, as players, how have you? In the past, experience dealing with this sort of thing because I've had DMs that would, you know, basically run it as your characters are in the front. Here come eight hundred goblins, start swinging.
4: Well, I'm going to let you handle that, Mike, because I wanted to say I haven't until I played in your original second edition game. You play Saturday, fighting all the the trolls and this is basically the siege.
3: Yeah, when uh, Chase, our DM, Chase. was running yeah, the, the Horde of Trolls. Yes. Uh,
1: yeah. i got to say, as a player, that's the first time I was really experiencing role-playing and being part of an army as well. Really? Yeah. So you,
2: so you, you guys went up against a troll army? Yep.
4: Yep, sure did. Wow. But we, we, we were prepared, though. Sort of. We
2: Sorry. still lost. Well, yeah.
1: say we had all the fire weapons we could I'm find, say, it's, but it's, it's
2: a, troll, a flask of oil is not going to do a troll army. You need barrels of the stuff. We
4: had, we, we, had dug, we, we dug we dug trenches before they got there, filled with oil. You know that kind of thing. Oh, the problem is they had troll stone trolls too, so yeah, it was, you know, just... seeded the fields with oil.
1: Yeah, we had fire traps. You know. Kind of like little landmines and, Shoot, and a think, squadron of mages with we flying ass, fireball.
4: We shooting acid
3: arrows too. The mages they were shooting fire with the incinerators and fell back by squads to the APC. Over yeah,
1: yeah we, we had tons of fire based <laughs> weaponry, but there were still more trolls than there were of us and our fire based weaponry. And we
4: got out by the we got out with our skins, which I consider a success.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah, because <laughs> at the time the. Halfling army that we were with didn't believe that the trolls were really that dangerous, and I think most all the PCs said, "You know, we're going to be lucky to just do a delaying action and then run." Yeah. Um, so in that, we sort of succeed. Who was it that drew the card for the deck of many things and hit that stone troll with the fifty thousand gold pieces worth of gems falling on his face? <laughs>
1: just falling on him?
3: <laughs> I would say. The battlefield
1: I'm, is no place I for the deck to of say anything. That was mead
3: again. Yeah, was that mead again? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> she like yanked out the card and pointed it at the stone troll, so it's like it hit him. And I think she was hoping for something like the void or the null oh, yeah. or something, but instead, fifty thousand. Still, it distracted him. So <laughs> yeah,
1: it it's almost like having a wand of wonder in battle. <laughs> <laughs>
4: that's no, that's, that's my tactic with web. It's like that's a. That's a stone giant. You're going to web him? Yeah, he, he's going to break through that. He says, yeah, but I only need to delay him for one turn. Turn or round? Turn, round, I'm sorry. I yeah, just need yeah. one round. He's going Around. to break through, but, you know, he can't move right now. <laughs> so run! Run or shoot it's, the hell?
3: Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting. When I first started gaming with uh, the group back in Mississippi, The very first games we played in, there was a Judges Guild supplement called Frontier Forts of Kelnor. I got that, yeah. Yeah, and for like two or three months, our games were every time we'd show up at the the library for six hours, we would loot one of these towers. Oh, boy. And he would put out the, you know, with the supplement comes with the 25 millimeter map of the fort. Uh-huh. And we'd have minis out, and we'd basically just loot the place. Sometimes they were occupied. Sometimes they were basically dungeon-like. But yeah, because there were a whole
4: series of them, I remember. Yeah,
3: yeah. And we were each running, like, three characters, So, and we had, like, ten people playing at the time. So we had, basically, a small army of 30 people. charging. Nice, with, nice
4: squad right there.
3: Yeah, yeah, so.
2: My brother was our old DM, and we did it so old school, we just made up or he made up his own mass combat rules when it came time. We got a high enough level where it's time to get an army and go take a city because uh, I, chronologically, I guess we were playing after Chainmail and Swords and Spells had been published, but we lived in Kentucky and we didn't, didn't never saw those things. And it was before uh, the AD&D battle system and War Machine came out. So we, mm-hmm. Although we, tri- we tried battle system when it did come out, and I think the decision of the group was we liked my brother's system better. But uh, the interesting thing I thought, since we were all just kind of hot-dogging it and he was making up his own system, is where the break point was. When, when did it change from our party versus whatever we encountered to, okay, this is now mass combat? Because
3: That's a good we, point.
2: As we scaled up in level, it got to a point, I mean, once we got above level 10 mm-hmm. in early teens, it would be nothing. I mean, uh, there was a, a so-called, should have been mass combat, where it's 6 a six-party, or uh, sixth adventure party, and we turn a corner, and there's the evil mage we've been chasing with a couple hundred orcs, and we got a couple hundred of miniatures out on the table and did it all, you know, just straight AD&D combat. 200 but, orcs.
3: But yeah, I mean, and that is a valid question. Where is the break-off point? Because it's arguable that the fighter ability to swish through, you know, uh, lower, you know, hit, one-hit-die creatures... Mm-hmm. is obviously, that that's something that is set up for miniatures combat. Right. And, and God knows there were enough Conan and other stories where he by himself was, you know, hordes and hordes of enemies and just slogged through them.
4: Yeah, but you got to remember, in a mass combat situation, it is not a war game. It's a role-playing game, which means you got to find some way to get the role-playing in between the troops you know, piling on and fighting.
2: I like chainmail. is chain a good rule set, but it's not really suitable for d d because magic changes everything, just like you were saying.
4: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, my, when my wizard and my brother's campaign got high enough level, his, when we're trying to, like, siege town... I had gotten myself, we were talking about uh, protection devices, I had myself uh, fire resistant enough that my uh, tactic as the mage was to sit in the back and have the general tell me where he wanted me to go and I would teleport down and target a fireball at my feet because it wasn't getting me.
3: Right. And then bang, back out. Wow, that's great. Well, where would y'all think would be the cutoff when it was no longer just D&D combat and something else, whether you want to play it like a war game or do it just a formula like war machine, et cetera, et cetera. That's what do you think the top point is? That's probably depends
2: hard to tell. on the probably depends on the temperament and patient level of your group. Yeah, yeah. We had a bunch of guys who were you know they liked to play Gettysburgs. So they were all into the you know moving battalions of guys around. I did, I never had the patience for that, which is why I played a magic user.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay.
3: Well, yeah, it, it's, it's around a hundred. I'd say a hundred combat com- yeah, seventy five to a hundred combatants is it's it, it, as good a number as any. Yeah. I, the things really kind of break down at that point unless you just enjoy the minutiae of combat.
2: Well, there are some other variables. I mean, it depends on if you're assaulting a fortified position, like a town or a castle. That change that pretty much sends you into mass combat rules.
0: Yeah. hmm
2: When people start showing up with, you know, ballistas and catapults. <laughs>
3: But yeah, then there's the problem, you know. Once you break away from D and D style combat to whatever arbitrary system you've got, you're inevitably going to have the issue of PCs. And yeah, I felt the same way. Is I've got a character who has unique abilities. I want to be able to use that in the middle of the combat. Right. What does a what does a thief do in mass combat? Right. well, they can spy, they can, you know, do stuff. But how do you do that in the context of whatever system you're using, you know, and unless it's actual B&D rules?
4: Right. And we will probably exp- – I'm holding back. I'm waiting for the next segment because this is more appropriate to that.
2: Yeah. Well, well since we're on the player side and not the DM side, some of that is up to the creativity of the individual player, too. It is. Yeah. It should be. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and and then – and the problem with the war game aspect of it is, again, you're getting into a position to where you're depending on the player's capabilities with, say, a war game or whatever as opposed to the PC. Right. Which, as Glenn was pointing out earlier, it's the where does it stop being a role-playing game and start being a war game.
2: Right, like I've played with guys that love to play Axis and Allies. I can't stand that kind of game. I just don't – my brain's not wired for it.
4: That's right. Mm-hmm. Same here.
2: I don't mean I can't stand that kind of game like I have any disrespect for it. I'm very respectful of it. I just – it's not my cup of tea.
3: It's not your bag, baby. Yeah. That's right.
2: But we thought our – we thought it all the way through. And my brother's uh, original campaign, it was – the mass combat uh, was the uh, equivalent to nuclear war were wishes. And there was an agreement amongst all parties and leaders and high level magic users on the continent to never use a wish during mass combat or war. Because if one guy did it, then everybody would do it and and you'd have the, the fantasy medieval fantasy equivalent of an atomic war. So we were not allowed to use a wish belt. Whether you had it in a ring
3: or what. Really? Wow. But meteor swarm was okay, Jim. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was fine. <laughs>
1: So kind of a weird sort of Geneva Convention you had going there.
3: Yeah, I guess a better comparison would be like poison gas in World War II. It was never used on the battlefield because everybody just kind of agreed, even the Nazis.
2: Oh, I was a chaotic little magic user as a young man, and it that used to just chomp it the bit to the point that when we, took the, we had uh, lost the capital city years ago in the campaign and we retook it, and the second the battle was ended, I blew an entire wish just to wish the town purple because like, wow. I wanted to call it the Amethyst City like the Emerald City and the Wizard of Oz.
1: do you <laughs> like, oh, like chocolate Johnny <laughs> no, you wasted
3: a wish on that I'm like yep aged five years and everything
2: oh brother
3: <sighs> yeah that's what I like about classic you don't quite have so many bad effects on spells and stuff. <laughs> unless you're playing Judges Guild but anyway I've been rereading Ready Rush Sheets again, and it's like, wow, they've got some really great effects. Fun you know, stuff, huh? Oh,
2: yeah. You're the Battletech guy. Like, in a campaign you're running today in 2013, at what point would you or would you? I mean, what, if you had a group of players, like, say all of us, that were not into the mass combat thing, what would you do when that situation came up in a game you're running?
3: Well, that's kind of a D&D, That's a DM thing, so maybe we should... Scoot on over into DM Fiat. That's probably a good idea. Do you have a final comment? Have you ever been put in a position as a player where you had to command troops? You yes, asking Liz? Yeah.
1: Yeah, because you didn't say Liz. Oh, sorry, Liz. So, um, I thought I. Was, hmm. No, I have never been put in a position where I had to command troops as a player. You know, even when we were playing in Chase's game. You know, my mage Aaliyah was really not a commander so much. Um,
3: just was board artillery. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I think there was one point in Chase's game where Aaliyah was trying to get all of the mages in the area, you know, to, you know, work as a team.
0: Uh huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, of-
1: very rudimentary. Um, skills there, but um, Aaliya was never much of a commander. She had really no idea about tactics other than a m- most basic basic sense. Mm. Um, so usually she would you know defer to someone like Fernando who was a military tactician. And, you know, basically ask him, you know, in your opinion, based on what is going on on the field right now, you know, what do you think you should have us do? And I'll yeah, tell him to do it.
3: Like I was saying earlier, that was really an awkward position because it's like, you know, I'm a, arguably a military historian. So, at least partially, um, my first master's degree was for military history.
4: Yeah, well, we wouldn't hold it against you.
3: Yeah, well. So, But it's like I know several things, but Fernando didn't necessarily. I mean, he was a fighter. He had a little tactical sense, but, you know, he didn't have just tons. So I always felt kind of torn. You know, well, I I know what I think I would do, but I don't know that Fernando would think about that because in the end, he's just a mercenary sellsword, and, which is the problem I, I run into. When I've ever been in such a situation, you know where.
1: But eventually, you did, you know, as he rose up in level, you were able to give him tactics as a non-weapon proficiency. He
3: made a non-weapon proficiency.
1: Well, <laughs> my point is, at that time, once you did that, I you know, did not I... have to feel that, you know, awkwardness. Now you could say Fernando knows
0: because he's had enough
1: experience. Very so now true. I don't have to worry about whether my knowledge would be his.
3: I just, you know, well, I hate, you know how I feel about non-weapons.
1: Yes, we all. Know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Everybody
3: knows.
2: Everybody
1: knows. Oh, Everybody knows. I know. People who've never met you know.
2: Thousands <laughs> yeah. of subscribers. Hey, I got a question for YouTube: The DM's name is Chase? Yes. So, as you guys were playing in this Mass Combat, how did your uh, DM Chase deal with the fog of war, letting you as players know what's going on? Was was there any mechanic for that, or were you just all standing over a map or a table getting to know everything?
1: Well, Florida, over NPCs. a map? And we had an NPC that he was running who knew pretty much what was going on as it happened. We Grow Egg?
3: Yeah. Oh,
1: below.
3: Yeah, so... He occasionally gave us hints and such. But, yeah, we didn't do this as miniatures or on a combat board or anything. Okay, so just more intuitive and neat to know. Yeah, yeah, it was more just, here's the map, here's what's happening, and I will describe to you what you see kind of thing.
1: Uh Gotcha. And the mysterious mage, Egg would occasionally let us know how other troops... You know, elsewhere on the line, how they were doing and what was happening with them.
4: Yeah. Gotcha.
1: So yeah,
3: it, it's awkward as a player. You know, sometimes you gotta, you know, you gotta balance that. You want to win, of course, against the you know role-playing element. And I so guess I was, guess
2: I I was thinking hmm? about it because with the new technology that's available for role-playing, I mean, like we're uh, the role twenty thing. I mean, in so many ways, it's worse than a tabletop experience, and it's trying to ape that. But there are a few things that the new technology does better and that sort of fog of war. What part of the bo- of the board you see at a certain time is one of them. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yep. So anyway. On that awkward tangent.
3: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, head to DM Fiat, since the ends. We probably will have a lot more to say over there.
1: Nope. Sorry. What? Uh, nope. You're wrong. Look it up. I don't have to look it up. It's common
3: knowledge. No! 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 Fiat. No. <coughs>
4: and we're fiating all over the place. Somebody's going to have to clean it up.
3: six. We're
2: fiat footed. Fix it again, Tony. I'm sorry, that's a joke if you ever actually owned a Fiat.
1: No, never did.
2: Mix it again, Tony.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or like Ford, found on Road Dead.
4: (laughs) How do you you get parts for a Ford? Follow
3: it. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) What was that horrible car Mead was talking about that was like the front end of a Rolls Royce and the rear of a Volkswagen Beetle?
1: (laughs) A Rolls Wagon?
3: Rolls Wagon, Yeah.
1: That would be awesome.
3: (laughs) You're a nut. Yeah, that would, that would be close to my, you know, I don't know which I'd uh, prefer that. Actually, no, I would still prefer my, my 71 Gremlin, lime green with a, with a flame job. That's my, that's my fantasy ideal car. Okay. Anyway, DM Yes. How do we actually handle stuff as DMs when it comes to having to deal with large battles and let's ask Liz first because hers will be in a way the simplest to describe
1: (laughs) I don't
3: (laughs) thank you. You, you 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 have it or you just
2: do not
1: I I do not or I try very hard never to have to deal with a huge battle um, usually what I will do if there must be a war going on at some point in the adventure, then I will try to arrange it to where whatever the individual group of players is doing is going to have the deciding effect on whether or not the side that they're working for wins or loses They'll either have to, you know, find a certain magic item and get it back in time, or they have to sneak into an enemy camp and kill someone important, you know. But I try to make the outcome of the giant battle depend on the small actions of the the unit of the player characters. Kind of
2: like, kind of like Hogan's Heroes.
1: Kind of like, yeah, I. Like you, I have very little patience for dealing with rolling for large numbers of people, even if you do break them down into, okay, for every 50 units, I'm rolling one die to see what happens. You know, even that is just like, uh, <clears throat> you know, boring. <laughs> well, see,
2: I, I- – I think that's a perfectly legitimate way to run a game, and here's why. Because ultimately, role-playing is about group storytelling, and that's just a storytelling choice. It's no different than if uh, you were the story you were telling was on a TV show with a limited special effects budget, and we can't show this whole big battle, so we're going to take the action and our protagonist over here for a while.
3: Right. Or dare I make another Doctor Who reference? Instead of showing the monster down in the cavern, you just hear it down the hallway or maybe see a shadow.
2: Well, Doctor Who is a good example because they've never shown us the Time War, have they? They talk about it a lot. Yeah,
1: they talk all over the place about it. <laughs> you still haven't seen it.
3: And well, in the pre-2005 Doctor Who, a lot of the times when they showed you the monster, you wish they didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you probably you, in the
4: shadow. you probably don't want to see the Time War. Look what happened when Lucas decided to actually do the Clone War. Yeah,
1: that that that's.
2: That probably I am I'm, I, I'm going to forgive you in advance for the sin of comparing George Lucas to Stephen Moffat yeah.
1: but I will say that is probably why mm-hmm. they have not you know gone into the time war because after building it up the way they have when you finally do show it, it's almost certainly going to not live up to right. the expectations of everybody who's imagined it. At this well, no, that's,
2: that's what it's talking about, though, in the way you run your game. That mm. What you said is just now is true, but it's still a storytelling choice. The show is not about wars, yeah. giant intergalactic wars. It's about the protagonist and his companions, just like a little D&D party of adventurers.
4: All right. So... What do we have to work with as far as, like, published material for mass combat in an RPG?
1: I don't know, because I don't use it. (laughs) I've
2: I've got the list right here.
4: Well, what do you do, Glenn? Well, I've got got the the list right here. Eggs. Well, no, I'm I'm asking, what do you do? do? I have not been put in that situation. I've never run mass combat. Like I said, I've been in mass combat with you guys, but I've never... On the other side of the screen, no.
3: But I, have but I a few, but at the DM, you've never had to describe a, a big battle or the results or
4: nope.
1: that
3: sort of thing? Nope. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah,
4: well, yeah, afterwards, it's like, yeah, I see a field all these dead guys. Okay. <laughs> um, but um, I have a few good, good ideas of whenever I do, so go ahead. Yeah.
3: Jim, you have pretty much already covered that, I guess. You're, you're kind it's, of in the... It's going to
2: fall on you, Mike, because... Uh, I, the only system I've run for any length of time is Gamma World, and Mass Combat just never came up. And yeah, if, if it, if it did for some reason, or I was running a D and game where it did, I think I would uh, a little, few degrees off of what Liz said. I would abstract the action such a way that there was no dice rolling, but make sure the <laughs> storytelling was set up so that the players had input to what was going on. Mm-hmm. Like what she said, the the, the the war depends on you going and dumping this ring in a volcano. You know, yeah. that's great. <laughs>
3: Well, when I was young and stupid and had a lot more free time, I used to do miniature war game battles uh-huh. for a lot of it, um, especially in high school. We we all always had – we had a big ping pong table at my grandmother's that we would set up on occasion with terrain and stuff and fight out battles as either just for fun or, okay, there's something in the campaign that needs to be fought out. Here's the order of battle, blah, 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 you know, and go from there. Uh, as I've gotten older and I'm more interested in continuing the story than than the blow by blow, I really just kind of want something that's on the final result. You know, what are the results? That's what I want to know, and then just move from there. I tried War Machine, um, which is the formulaic system that first showed up in Mincer Companion and later was reprinted in the Encyclopedia. Right. But I find all of the mod. The the system itself isn't bad, but the wealth of modifiers is just annoying.
4: You want to hear something funny? Mm. Um, After they published RC, um, Frank Menser wrote an article for Dragon saying, Yeah, I wrote this, but it kind of got changed a bit from what I was going to do. And it's got to be, I guess he meant needlessly complicated or whatever. Anyway, he said, okay, here's how I run a mass battle. And he published it, and it's like, I can't follow this either. This <laughs> is a different I Do you know
3: different. what issue that was?
4: I do not know. Oh, okay. But. But? But. Uh, let's Well, let's go through them first. War Machine, Chainmail, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Yeah, I mean, I guess in the end, you've got – you can either play them as massive D anD D games, right? Which will take forever, right? Unless you've got really, really high level characters and they're wiping out whole,
4: you know, you know shield walls doing in one the, strike. Yeah, doing the Sauron thing.
3: Yeah, um, there's miniature, ta- you know, scale battles or board game type with uh, you know cardboard chits representing mm. units board right. war game types, and there's, you know, there's always chain mail for the miniature side of things. Right. Uh, well, board games, there's so many out there, I couldn't even begin to mention. Anybody take a look, you can find a board game on Fantasy, you know, Warfare. And later on, there's
4: Battle System, which is compatible with BASIC.
3: Yeah, if you want to go that route, though.
1: Well, you mentioned, you know, you used to do all that. Now you're interested primarily in results. So okay. what would you do now, I guess, to well, give I you the results quick?
3: I developed a variant on the war machine system that I use. That okay. Is a, it's kind of formulaic, but it, it's basically one table that considers the size of, the, of the, uh, each army and then reduces it to a ratio. And then what, you know, tactic did each side decide to use? And you've got the, the most common medieval warfare tactics like shield wall, charge, withdraw, volley of archers, that sort of thing. And Sounds very just,
2: similar to what my brother ran. Dude, you should write that up and publish it.
3: Yeah, I keep meaning to, but I never, I never have the time or the –
2: Now, I found-, I found – If only you knew a good layout designer person. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great yeah, if you did. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be really, that'd really like nice.
4: You're buying to be reach. Now, yeah. now um, I found a workable system in the pages of Dungeon Magazine. Now, I know this Dungeon? Is, yeah, now I know I'm getting in, this into 2E and stuff, but we did a review of a, an adventure in there called the Siege of Kratis Freehold, all about this Freehold being attacked by an army of orcs. And in there, there's a rather simplistic and it looks like quite effective system on how to run mass combat. It basically takes each of uh, the, uh, the army, takes like five man units and treats them like a player character.
3: Yeah, that is another system I have seen where um, and that was take two a, armies mm-hmm. and you determine what their numbers are mm-hmm. and then break them into basically individual quote-unquote monsters. I think right. Swords and Wizardry did something like that. But that, and anyway, and, and the number of men is basically the hit points.
4: Yeah, something like that. But it's something worth looking at. It's in uh, Dungeon Number Thirty Three. Um, okay. And I wouldn't mind. Yeah, you know, I'll crib that. You know, that yeah. seemed like like a workable thing because. And isn't it?
3: What is it? Nights Dark Terror.
4: Nights B, Dark Terror. Yeah.
3: Yeah, one of the B modules. It's yeah. got what amounts to a board war game with with cardboard pieces and stuff. Right. If you want. To that's the, something.
2: that's the basic problem that this whole thing dances around uh, that we're not saying straight out. The, the, the basic problem that we're talking about is when you change it from a role-playing game to mass combat, you have now segued into a different game. Pretty much. It's a different game type, different game mechanics, and if that's what mm-hmm. your group wants to do and you have fun with it, great. But you're not playing, you know, dungeon crawl role playing anymore.
4: Right. Yeah. But that's that's why I like something like Craddy's Freehold, where you can do it. Just it's basically a a larger version of an encounter. Yeah. You just do it. It's over with. Boom. Go on.
2: Well, what I think is really interesting about that is, uh, I mean, it goes all the way back to the very beginnings of D and D because the popular perception is that D and D. Uh, Chainmail is a precursor to D and D, and D came from Chainmail. Which, mm-hmm. if you do your scholarship, is not only uh, is completely untrue, basically untrue. I mean, Chainmail so, was only in O D and D because true. Gary was trying to sell the game to a bunch of people who already owned Chainmail. Right. So he put it out as a supplement to Chainmail.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, I, and it, it also had man-to-man combat in there. Right. And it's only a short step from a skirmish fantasy war game to the beginning. Play. Well, well, before we
2: get letters, I just want to uh, establish that I'm not talking out my butt because uh there's a uh, uh, uh <laughs> not this time. <laughs> the way. There's a YouTube uh video cast by a uh, British guy uh I'm gonna say it wrong, Gamer Grognard. Do you know the guy I'm talking about? No. Uh, well, he's got. Uh, we could put a link up to it. He's got this really lengthy conversation with Rob Kuntz, and and this is exactly what Rob Kuntz was saying. He's saying we never used the chainmail rules at any time when we were playtesting D and D, and that the rules that are presented in Basic D and D as the alternate rules are the actual rules they used whenever they had to do battle.
1: And yeah. yet, the Holmes um, Basic book does reference chainmail at a couple of spots. Mm-hmm. Um, and for so instance, Brown- when that- yeah, when they're talking about the, the giant in the section with the monsters, oh, you know, the way, yeah, the way they throw rocks like catapults, and he talks about an adapt an adaptation from the chainmail rules on how to calculate you know catapult slash giant fire.
3: Yeah, because that's interesting because that seems to fly in the face of a lot of what was said in uh, playing at the world. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was all well, the wizards and, you know, their their level titles and the amount of spells they had.
2: I wish I Which, had seen this Rob Koontz interview uh, before uh, we talked to John because uh, I know he didn't he didn't uh, interview Rob for the book. Is that what he told us?
3: I don't recall. Um, but uh, anyway, we're hoping to have him on the show again when we talk about Eldritch Wizardry. So right. if you could keep that in your notes, maybe you can ask him about it. Okay. Please do.
2: But you're right. The popular perception is D&D came from Chainmail, so the two systems should get along swimmingly with each other. Yeah. And they don't.
3: No, they don't. Well, you know, uh, just they because do. from a even games that are similar don't necessarily work completely well together. And again, like we were saying at the beginning, Chainmail and D&D are, to a degree, trying to do different things. Right so there you would expect to have a little a little less uh, you know o- overlap there especially when you start going from skirmish man to man to units being you know each
0: figure deployed
3: 20 yeah then combat really has to change even from the relatively abstract method D&D uses
2: Well, chainmail's a great system but as soon as a player whips out a deck of many things and starts aiming it at the other army you're done with chainmail
4: okay. yeah But, well, yeah, it does change the game, but that's why I favor these quick systems. So, okay, it's like we took a little detour into miniatures wargaming here, and now we're
2: out. Well, Mike, I thought you were going to be the whole mass combat guy since you run Battletech, but you're basically, we're all in agreement that, you know.
3: Well, again, Battletech, each mech is one person. You know, it's one person in one mech. So, in reality, the old-school Battletech is really a skirmish game.
2: Oh, see, you just reminded me. There was a, uh, a, a, it's not mass combat, but it's still a sort of war thing. When Mage Knight first came out, I loved that game. I was mm-hmm. never any good at it, but I loved it. And it was more more tactical than, uh, obviously, not role-playing.
3: Yeah, you, I mean, FASA eventually put out a, what amounted to a board war game of, ta- of mass tactical combat for mechs called Battle Force. But I never looked at that, because I never really, you know, I, I liked the individual mech combat, so I didn't, Want to play a big war game. If I want to play a war game, I'll play a war game. And playing Battletech, I want to play Battletech. Right. Right. So, but yeah. um, And again, like Glenn, I'm more interested in the final results. Mm -hmm. I've rarely had players in my games who want to be in the middle of every single blow. You know, there's some that might want to know, well, what did my character do during the battle? Mm -hmm. And the system I wrote up. Gives an exam, you know, gives you know results. What did the player do? Depending on what their level, their class, what items in general they might have had, but in a way, it's kind of like the Traveller system with determining <clears throat> your character's history. You know, it's fun. It's
4: funny when I've read through War Machine, um, and they even say this there. Once you get the numbers down, it goes boom, boom, boom. But it's just getting the numbers down.
3: Yeah, well, there's so many
4: modifiers
3: for so many different things.
4: They say you could do that, like, the night before, and then when you go there, it runs like clockwork. It runs, boom, real fast. Yeah,
3: and you do that the night before, and unless you ended the last game at the beginning of the battle, then you do yeah. all that work, and your players will go that way <laughs> yeah. and involved in the battle to begin with. At least that's my experience. Oh, well, was- this flight came around this way.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think this is the most interesting show we've done since I've been on because there's a thing buried here that we're talking about that's yeah, yep. in- No, 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 no. Just, <laughs> Just out more. How? How? When you go to mass combat, you change a different game, and that's not the only example in a role-playing games. Say your characters are in a tavern and they decide to do some gambling. Well, if you're resolving that with like simple rolls and a few tables. You can still role play it, but the second the players at the table physically sit down with a deck of cards and really start playing poker, then you're not playing D&D anymore, you're playing poker.
3: That's right. You're playing a game within a game. Yep. Right. Now, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's a interesting game mechanic design thing. Yeah. And I, again, maybe it's just because as I've gotten older as a DM, I want to keep going with the story, but again, the actual activities, are less important to me than the final result. If the players want to role play, you know what they say around the table and everything. That's great, but in the end, I'm more concerned with how much money did they win or lose. In your, you know, gambling example. Yeah.
2: That's how my old group used to get me because I had no patience for the, you know, we're laying siege to this town until I heard I got to throw fireballs, and then I. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's like, Ooh. oh, we,
4: we got to have you on Thaco's hammer. You're akin to Corey. Well,
1: here's an interesting question again for Mike. Um, I know one of the one of the war games that you play currently, um, two hour war games, all things zombie. Um, they have they utilize a lot of tables for, you know, determining what happens in an encounter between your group of humans and the group of zombies, or you know, or whoever
3: humans you run into. In
1: yeah. Do you think that something similar to that would be able to be used in, you know, a in a D&D context for resolution of encounters
3: two hour with troops? Games puts out two games that I think would apply here. One's called Warrior Heroes and the other is called Rally Round the King.
4: Who, who puts these out? Two Hour, two hour war Games. Game.
3: Okay.
2: I didn't hear the second one.
3: Rally around what? Rally around the king. Two hour war games. Oh, uh, warrior heroes is more just like D and D, but you can play it. And what it is, is it's either the, the the big selling point for this, for two hour war games is war games are
1: they can either be
3: done solo or all the players on one side against the game system Mm -hmm. and warrior heroes mostly is you know, parties against, you know, monsters, D&D, whereas Rally Round the King is more medieval combat. I have never seen Rally Round the King, so I can't tell. But, yeah, I mean, that would be a valid system, though all things zombie, you know, every figure is an individual character. I mean, it's really a rules-light RPG more than a war game, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I was just wondering, could you use that and instead of the individual character, say, this quote-unquote individual character is a unit of troops?
3: Colonial Adventures, the, the other one I play a lot, you know, is basically, you know, troops in the 1880s, you know, the, right. the line of British at Rourke's Drift being attacked by hordes of Zulu. And yeah, I mean, the same system works pretty well.
1: Yeah, and the thing that I liked about looking at your two-hour of war games – Stuff is, you know, it's not only combat itself, but it also takes into account, you know, morale changes, which mm-hmm. might determine whether or not, you know, the people you're fighting suddenly decide to just cut and run because they totally flubbed.
3: What I like about it, because yeah, in a lot of war games, your side, you control all your figures; they're like just mindless pawns that do whatever you want. But in two-hour war games, you only can completely control your figure. You can order the others. They may do something. They may do not. may not. They may lose it and run away. You can't mm. control them. They may <laughs> run off in a whole different direction and decide to do something you wouldn't want them to do at all. But just you like Hirelings and Henchmen. Yeah. Just like Hirelings and Henchmen. Did I
4: did I mention that I never played a war game? <laughs> well, I, well, I think I was lying, so... <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah, I, I actually played a little Warhammer Fantasy Battle.
3: Ah, well, there you go, then. That's and, another mini And sword.
4: I got to play my favorite one, Critter Commandos.
3: <laughs> I've never played that. I've heard of it. But I own a copy. I've
2: never played it.
4: I call it Toon Battle.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> You're, it's a sci-fi setting. A uh, sci-fi setting on a planet you got troops of different kinds of animals going in, stuff like the Ratsies and things like that. And, you know, you come up with stuff like pie guns. And one of my favorite ways to move around is uh, big wheels. <laughs> uh, you know, I put a bunch of like bunch of like raccoons on big wheels with big guns, things like that. That's, that's a lot of they fun. They get the
3: feel out, yeah. <clears throat>
4: yeah, and each animal has a specialty that they do. You know, like, I, I, there's bears and and raccoons and squirrels, and each one has a special... They even have ants. Ants kick butt, let me tell you. <laughs> as long as their leader doesn't get killed.
3: then well, they're not running. a Wi-Fi game without bugs. Yeah,
2: that's true. Then, uh, Glenn, you should give Galacta a chance, because in that game, there are squags, these little squirrel dog guys, uh-huh. to get to get their run around with laser rifles and kill big people. Okay.
4: I even, I even came up with a couple of them. I came up with Moose... And chickens. Chickens are fun because they have a scatter. They have a scatter ability. You land a bomb on there or some kind of fire, they will scatter and their their speed goes like twice as fast. You can't catch them.
2: They just go. Anyway, how did you do? How did you do? Moose and chicken. I would have gone with moose and squirrel. <clears throat> oh
1: well, yeah, definitely.
2: Well, they flying. already had
4: they already had squirrels, <laughs> and they had a flying squadron. So, oh, yeah. yeah. But I came up with moose. Is I don't know. I don't know.
1: Mises. Mooses, Mises.
4: Yeah, anyway, I, I digress. Okay.
3: Well, how about we, unless other people have something they wish to contribute, in the have
2: I side
0: ever?
3: Huh? Have I ever?
2: I've, I've got an idea, though. <laughs> so when we get to the dragon rating part, can we do dragon ratings for chainmail, swords and spells,
3: battle system, and war machine? What the
2: heck? Oh,
1: sure, you all can do that. I'll just sit back.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Well, how about we put? We'll roll that into random encounters as Stinch. our suggestions right. or preferred systems. I dare you, and let's go into random encounters now. I dare you. We take what we want and leave the rest, just like your salad bar.
1: <laughs> Buck up must leave. Presto! <clears throat>
4: it will come out no
1: more.
2: What? Huh? What'll come out no more?
4: Random encounters
3: to random encounters
4: Pete never mind
3: basically we're <laughs> talking about you know here what your ideal encounter would be to use if you had to do a mass combat or some type of battle and I suppose a general rating of what systems you'd like to use and how you would how you would rate each one and we'll start with Jim
2: uh, I, I would Never, ever, under any circumstances, use swords and spells. And I've never met anyone else who would. Um It would depend if it was magic. Light chainmail is a perfectly good system. I I, I enjoy chainmail jousting every year at Gary Con. But uh, if it was basic D anD D, I'd go with the A D anD D battle system. I used to have a copy of that. It's a pretty good rule set
0: Okay.
2: okay. And, and I haven't seen War Machine, so I'm I'm just ignorant of that one.
3: <laughs>
2: I got a question. Hmm. Or, did you need, or did you need a scenario
3: Yeah more of a scenario but then also what system would you use for that particular scenario huh.
2: I just I'm, I'm gonna uh, and just say I wouldn't in the first place I wouldn't run a game where that was a, a, a you know a storytelling turning point unless okay. it happened off stage
3: okay Probably based on my laziness, I would do something similar to the Battle of Thermopylae where there's a small group of, of PCs and henchmen and hirelings holding a narrow mountain pass. So even if there's like huge amounts, if I had to actually roll it as a role-playing situation, that, so even if there's a huge enemy army, they can only come at them you know, a few ranks at a time. So that's the best way of keeping the D&D, that's the best way I've found to keep mm-hmm. D&D combat and make it quote-unquote mass combat, but it's really not because you're not dealing with more than just what amounts to a large melee. Mm-hmm.
2: Can I recant? Yes. I would just hit you up for that system you talked about that's a few simple tables and use that. The oh, well, okay. no one you wrote. That's what I do.
3: But no scenario. Oh, uh, another,
2: Well, here, I'll, I'll throw yeah, in two. Yeah, while I'm stealing your rules, I'll just steal your scenario. <laughs> okay. Take well,
3: I'll throw in another scenario too then. <sighs> um, and this kind of gets back to what playing at the world was saying about how D&D originally started. Sieges. Particularly if you're digging mines and countermines. Uh huh. That's basically a very simple dungeon crawl. Which is something you could put PCs to doing. And again, they're not fighting the whole enemy army. They're just, they're fighting the mine, you know, they're guarding the diggers for the mine or fighting a countermine. That sort of thing would be another way of making it battle, but yet you're really only having to deal with a few, few characters at a time.
2: We've tunneled through to the enemy dungeon door. Thief, check for traps.
3: (laughs) Or that sort of thing.
2: (laughs) Finally, I get to do something in this battle. (laughs) I won't ask. I'm going
1: to backstab the enemy army.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All of them. (laughs) Now you're starting to sound impressed.
1: I know.
2: He's a bad influence. Why can't I hide in shadows? There's 200 of them.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Glenn?
4: You mean besides uh, defending Montregar from the Mutants of Scorch?
0: Oh, that's so good.
4: Uh, I just just got the Wizards RPG the other day. (laughs)
0: Oh,
2: okay. I was about to say, I've heard
4: that. Where have I heard that before? Wizards, that's right. Yes. uh, I kind of.
2: That would be Ralph Bakshi's answer to this question. I would just rotoscope the whole thing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I would steal from Ivanhoe and color them all black or something.
4: Works for him. Yeah. Um, and uh, I would, ooh, I'm kind of fond of using, my dear Matt wrote up a, uh, he converted the Skaven from Warhammer Fantasy Battle, or from Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, into basic D&D. And I would just love to have a party with, an, you know, a backup with the army go against like a horde of them.
3: What are That's- Skavens? That's Ratman. quite a conversion. Ratman. Ratman. Ratman, okay. Yes. The Rattlings. Okay. Yes. I never really played Warhammer Fantasy much, but I played uh-huh.
4: some Warhammer. I, I played some, and I remember the Skaven. I mean,
2: converting that to d- basic d d is golf clap worthy.
4: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, and the system I use, I probably use that Karate's Freehold system. Mm-hmm. And if I did not have access to that, yeah, I would probably take the time and use the War Machine. You know, set it up the night before and stuff. They really want to do this battle, you know. Yeah. Yeah, just do the numbers and okay, let's go.
3: Yeah, and with the caveat that you know those scenarios, I would only run if my players were insistent on they wanted their players doing something actively in the middle right. of it, as things happened. Otherwise, yeah, I would just use. The That's battle. one thing. I don't
4: remember if we mentioned it or not. That's one thing that's always concerned me. Like, every time we go into a mass combat thing, I keep going, where's the role-playing? I'm I'm not Mm -hmm. talking about the army. I'm talking about my character. Where's the role-playing?
2: It's Mm -hmm. very dependent on how the the DM's got a lot of balls to juggle there. But a DM can pull that off because role-playing came from things like diplomacy and Mm -hmm. Bronstein. Okay.
3: Yeah, and arguably, you know, if, especially if you're the general, you're role-playing because you're, you know, what would your character do? Right, I mean... I'd descend troops to A, B, or C, Yeah.
4: You can't all be General Solo or General Calrissian, you know, you're going to be Well, like,
3: yeah, and that's where the problem gets in, you know, because is your character a really good general, or are you a really good general, or are you a really crappy general? But or your you, character's uh, a good general, I, so... You, it's oh, funny that you said that because
2: that's how they solved the problem in Return of the Jedi. Is they just took all the protagonists and made them generals of their own little skirmish
3: units. True. Yeah. yeah. Everybody got ranks again, except Chewbacca, who got screwed yet again. Yeah. Or well. Chewbacca. No metal, no army, no nothing. You got a bath. box He got Ewoks in his. In he got to drive a mech and got <laughs> Ewoks. That that was all Chewie got.
2: Still being held down by the man.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> all that "let the Wookiee win" nonsense at the first movie. Yeah, they never followed through with that.
3: Yeah, that was just a bone they threw him, and you know that, that's that's all he got. Yeah, true. Anyway, that's what but I was. Do you do. notice all like well groomed? Huh? <laughs> what? You ever notice that? Chewbacca was very well-groomed. was always very – his hair was always perfect, you know, swept back. It was never, never really ruffled very much. He was a werewolf of London. His hair was he perfect. Was, he, he was just <laughs> – his hair
2: was perfect.
1: And he also used Johnson & Johnson No More Tears shampoo. Oh, nice. I was
2: thinking more L'Oreal, but yeah.
1: Well, when he had to wash around his eyes and everything, you had to be very careful. Very yeah, gentle just, shampoo.
2: Stick him in
4: the dryer. This is a big giant fuzzball.
3: big. <laughs> <laughs> <But laughs> <up> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that sure. would be fantastic if a Wookiee could do that. Just us <laughs> <fluff> out. <laughs> 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 From
3: what we
2: said, Chip. But you would actually, if your players yeah. wanted to, you would run a mass combat. You'd yeah, probably. I would try
4: I to. Give it a, I give it a shot at least once.
2: Good on you, mate.
3: Yeah, I'm sure you and Liz wouldn't. I might, I if I
1: absolutely had to, I'm if with I knew her. my players wanted it, I would try. It would probably be crappy, but I'd try. and I'd prob- I would try to find a system that was as basic and bare-bones as possible and would get it over with as quickly as humanly possible.
4: Gratty's freehold one. I, yeah.
1: I would not get into you know, a really crunchy, nuts-and-bolts system. And if that was what my players wanted, then I would have to disappoint them, because I'll only go so far. No. Oh, no,
3: oh, the squad leader here. No,
1: no, 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 no.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Liz, because now you got me thinking back with my DM shoes on again. If my entire group of players absolutely had to have a mass combat and harassed me into doing it, I'd give them one, but I bet you they wouldn't ask me again.
1: <laughs> They'd all die! <laughs>
3: Ouch. Yeah, I one. Ouch. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know how... I think we covered the topic pretty well. I'm not sure we gave anybody a lot of... We took a, blo- yes. <laughs> we took a blank... ...examples, because most of us sound pretty like, eh, avoid it if we can. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's our opinion, then.
1: Well, I do think if I did try, I would see if I could make those two-hour war games tables of yours work and do it that way if I couldn't then I would probably try either Glenn's suggestion or I'd go with the mass combat rules in the swords and wizardry book and see how they worked for me
3: you You know it's with one hit point or hit points armor class and weapon and just go with it like a big melee
1: yeah, something like that.
2: You know what? You know what else is a good viable solution if you're in Liz and I's position is you have surely got a wargamer friend who would love to co DM an evening's game with you, and and whistle in the professionals to do what you don't want to do. Like if we were in the same town, Mike, it's come come co DM this mass combat with me. And then your
3: players will never ask you to do it again.
2: <laughs> uh, you saw through my roots. <laughs>
0: he
4: says he well. He does it for uh, he does it for full on so.
3: Mm. So yeah, it's. I think on the whole, uh, any our our listeners have a lot of options out there, but I think we're relatively uniform on what our options would be, which are basically get it get it over with as quickly as possible. <laughs> like pulling
1: a tooth <laughs>
3: <laughs> and move on with your lives.
1: So we're very very sorry. <laughs> Unless you feel the same way we do, in which case we're not sorry at all.
3: <laughs> and you if you go. disagree with us, write in. We'll read your emails as long as it's not full of profanities and such. Oh, <laughs> we'll read it anyway.
4: That just makes my job hard. I don't,
2: I don't think it's got to be that way. I mean, if your passion in life is to play the Celts fighting the Romans, go at it. Have a great time. Use chainmail. Absolutely.
3: And, or, you know, there, there's hundreds of miniature rule sets out there. For the ancient and medieval periods, right. um, hell, a lot of them are free online. You can go, you know, Google. You can find lots of free online sets that people are giving away. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of which, there's a there's a website called the Junior War Gamer that has basically what amounts to fold cardstock mm. figures that you can download the PDF for and print at home and just fold over, put on a stand and you've got like a paper mini for free. And they've got them for just about every um every era you can think of. You know what's ironic
2: is I can't stand those kind of games, but I love making the counters.
3: (laughs) Spoken like an artist. That's right. That's right. right, well I guess we're wrapping up then. Yeah. Um, another, another show in the can. Heading down the road. In the can. Popping up the dust. Mm. And how are we marching down the road, Liz?
1: I am avoiding the giant war just off screen, <laughs> and <laughs> sneaking my way to the to the nearest exit. <laughs>
3: Out of this! Get me out of this battle.
2: Get huh?
1: me out of this war.
2: <laughs> Jim? I'm teleporting to the heart of the troll army and casting Fireball on my feet because I can make my save. Wahaha.
4: Save versus spells. Glenn? I got my troops, and I've got the Skaven on the run, man. They are going like crazy.
3: Get them! Go!
1: Yeah. Go! Yeah.
3: I am walking down the road trying to keep my... My, my, my throat clear of all the dust that the troops in front of me are marching and kicking up behind me, but it's better than marching behind the cavalry
0: <laughs>
3: so good night everybody thanks for listening we'll talk to you again in episode 77
4: see ya, good night
3: good night everybody
4: free arc
2: The Save or Die podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions. The Save or Die theme is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. Nine out of ten DMs surveyed recommend this podcast for their players who listen to podcasts. Listening to podcasts over four hours in length is not normal, and you should consult a physician or at least a damn good psychiatrist. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die.